Philippians is a slightly different word to some other, or slightly different book to some other books in the Bible. It's a bit different from Galatians, for example. In Galatians, in Galatians, uh, Paul really had a point he wanted to make, and he came out swinging uh, in the book of Galatians. But Philippians is a bit different. Philippians, uh, Paul is writing to friends effectively, and so he writes a friendly, affectionate letter, uh, encouraging letter to the people uh, in the church in Philippi. Philippi is in modern day Greece. It's in the, it's in modern day Greece in the northeastern uh, corner of Greece. Uh, in the book, there are no big rebukes or big problems. Uh, as I say, unlike Galatians, there are a couple of issues that do arise as you work your way through the book. Uh, it was likely written by Paul when he was a captive in Rome, and this is about 30 years after Jesus ascended. So it's relatively early in the in the life of the church. So the, the title of my talk today, and this will become more apparent, particularly when you get towards the end, is Seek Christian Maturity. That's what he wants people to do, is to seek Christian maturity. So we've got three, basically three parts in the, in verses one and two is an introduction uh, by Paul. Then verses three to eight, Paul gives four reasons for his joy. And then from verses nine to eleven, Paul prays a four-part prayer. What for? For the ongoing spiritual growth or, 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 or growing to maturity uh, of the believers within the uh, Philippian church. So let's go back uh, to the introduction and I'm just going to read through and then we'll come back and explain a bit more detail. So let's first off start off with verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Let's go back and have a look at that. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. So what do you mean by a servant? I suppose the best thing for me is it's, it's, it's what I might call voluntary slavery or total commitment to the gospel. That's what he's saying. That's, he's a servant. Then he says, to all God's holy people. So, so do we think, well, you know, I'm pretty holy. I'm, there's something pretty good about me. Well, I'm sure that's not quite what he's really getting at. We are holy. What? Yes, we are holy. But that is something deemed by God when, upon when we first put our faith, belief or trust in Jesus. It's not something that we're, we're merited for. No. We're not merited, but it is deemed by God. It says, to all God's holy people in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers, which I take to mean what we would call our modern day elders, and the deacons. Right, I say verse 2 says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go back and look at that. Now, grace and peace, and they're, they're words that are often used some, but so often in the church, words are used which we, which we sort of think, oh yeah, I know that word, but do we actually know what it actually really means, what the impact of it is? Let's just consider that briefly. So what is, what is God's grace? I think God's grace has got two main meanings. First of all, when, when, when God is gracious towards us, it, we receive God's unmerited favour. We don't deserve God's favour. But he gives us to, gives it to us anyway. That's the first part. The second part I think is pretty exciting and that is God's grace is not only his unmerited favour, but it's his equipping us for Christian living and ministry. We can't live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit within, without our being enabled to do that. So that's, that's grace, a two part meaning. 
And then grace and peace. Well, peace with who? Well, first of all, we receive peace with God eternally. We, we are at peace with God. We can go to bed at night and say the big question in life has been, or one of the big questions in life has been, has been answered. I am at peace with God. Not because going back to uh, grace, not, not because I deserve it, no, but because that is what God has given to us. So that's first of all with God, then within ourselves. Well, like the truth is we're not always, I'm just going to drop the sound a bit, it's a bit, yeah, that's a bit better I think. Um, we, we're not always at, uh, at peace within ourselves, but as we grow as a believer we become more and more at peace with ourselves and not the, some problems that might otherwise arise. The third thing is we're also more at peace with other people. You know, like it, it's not entirely dependent upon us, but of course we can, with, with God at work within us, we will be at more at peace with other people, but to the extent that it's possible and that they allow, we'll be at peace with him. So three people, peace with God, peace within ourselves, and peace with others. Then it says, to you, and this is an interesting part, he says, to you, it's all interesting by the way, but some pieces really grab me, to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The way he's expressing that, he's expressing that, that God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ are equal, that they are both divine, right? Eh? Now, it's interesting um, that many that many people um, uh, get a bit concerned. A lot of people they get a bit uptight when Jesus is th- throughout the Bible. Jesus is submissive to God. He obeys God. He only does what God tells him to do. So then, some people then say, "Well, therefore, Jesus is less than God." He maybe some people would say he's not a normal person, but he's not God. He's something vague in the middle. Why? Because one of the reasons is is because he's submissive. Let's go have a look, though. And this this really points something out. I think quite quite interesting. If you go to John chapter one verse one, and I'm reading from the NIV, it says, "In the beginning was the Word." That's Jesus. And later on in chapter one, it says, "The Word is Jesus." And the word was with God, and the word was God, capital G God. That's very, very clear. But if you, but you know, sometimes you would get, and I know where I live that happens, you get Jehovah's Witnesses who come to the door. Very nice people, very friendly people, but they come to the door. But they have a Bible, uh, which is called the New World Translation, NWT. And I want to read to you what they say. Uh, in when it comes to John chapter 1 verse 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was God but instead of saying and the word was God with a capital G they say the word was a God G lowercase that is something completely different that is something completely different we are called to believe in Jesus as as the Bible portrays him throughout the throughout the Bible, uh, Jesus is portrayed as fully God and fully man. There are many other errors, for example, in that Bible, by the way, in the New World Translation. Let's go on to the second section, which is verses uh, uh, three to eight. Four reasons for Paul's joy. I thank my God. This is verse three. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, 
I always pray with joy. And let's just think about that for a moment. I always pray with joy. And I think in there there's a little element of happiness as well. But I want to just draw a contrast between joy and happiness. What's happiness? Happiness, I think, this is my way of expression anyway, is essentially feeling good, like, oh, there's a beautiful sun today, I feel good because it's a lovely day on the outside. Feeling good or happiness is relying upon circumstances. Joy is something different. Joy, this is my way of expression anyway, is that joy is deep inner contentment based upon what I was saying before, our eternal peace with God through Jesus. It's not based on circumstances. So we can still have a joy even in the most difficult situation and difficult circumstances uh, that we're actually going through. Right, so it's important, I think it's important to, to bear, always to bear that in mind. We strive for joy, not necessarily, happiness is nice, but that's not necessarily what our goal is to be. So verse 5, now he talks now about, he starts talking about the four reasons for Paul's joy. Those four reasons are partnership, preservation, grace, and affection. So let's look at that. So we'll begin by looking at verse 5. He says, I always pray with joy because of, this is the first one, partnership, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So what is this partnership? What's the partnership that he's talking about? Well, well, as we look further through the Bible, um, the Philippian church gave some financial support. It's like supporting a missionary. They, they gave some support. Uh, to Paul. So that's a p- sort of an aspect of partnership. Not only that, they actually partnered with Paul in the sense that they lived the gospel. It's one thing about the Christian life. There's, it's effectively two parts. There's the doctrine or our, bi- or our intellectual knowledge, but it's not true knowledge until it's actually applied. Unfortunately, what some churches have done or what some denominations have done is they've forgotten about the, the, the doctrine and it's all about living. Now, unfortunately, then, if there's nothing to control or guide that living, it can go off on all sort of tangents, which is what it does do. So financial, so we're talking about partnership, so it's financial support of Paul's ministry, some examples of it, the fact that they lived the gospel, and not only that, they shared the gospel. They shared it uh, with other people. Just recently, I was, I was um, well, just... I've just sort of really decided recently that what I'm going to do, I was at Hungry Jack's, I think it was last, was it last week? I think Hungry Jack's down at uh, Logan City. I was at a church down there and I often go to the Hungry Jack's or someone or McDonald's to have breakfast. And, and, and when I left, I, I left, a, just left the track there on the, on the table. So when the cleaner came around, oh, there's the track. Well, I wonder what that means. Knowing God personally, I wonder what that means. So that's something for them to take home. You don't know what impact that might have. Um, um, only God knows, and maybe one day I'll find out. So the first one is, is partnership. Second one is preservation. Verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So let's look at that. He says that preservation, being confident of this, that he, who's he, who's he referring to there? I think broadly I'm thinking about the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the, the Holy Spirit, who began a good work in you. So when did God begin a good work in us? We would say clearly that when we become a believer, 
when we were born again, yes, God is working within us, but I also think he works before that as well. And I look back at my own life and, and things 20 years before I became a believer, different things when I look back now, I can look at experiences and say, yes, the Holy Spirit was at work then, working within me, Ultimately, and of course I would have been, I was completely oblivious to it, but ultimately I could see the outworking of it. Then he says, he will carry it on until the day of Christ Jesus. Until the day of Christ Jesus, until his second coming, the day of judgment. I believe once, once saved, once truly saved, always saved. That's my belief. Not everyone agrees with that, but that's what I believe. I think when we're truly saved, we are deeply impacted, deeply impacted, and that grows. God, I believe, will preserve us, will preserve the true believer, and the Holy Spirit empowers our cooperation. When we become a believer, he, the Holy Spirit, comes to live within us, and, and he works in us to will and to act in accordance with his purposes. To will. So even if we don't want to do something, God is there working with this, and I just think that's wonderful, because uh, I know that I know what a sinner I am. Right. Then the third one now is grace. This is we're starting at verse seven. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my mind, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all you share in God's grace with me. Let's think back about that verse. Now where am I? Right. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. We're talking here about um, about uh, grace. Since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains, remember, like he was um, restrained or in prison. Not, we're not sure exactly what the situation was, but he was definitely a captive in Rome. Whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel. Confirming means strengthening people's trust in, belief in the gospel. All of you share what? In God's grace. Same as we said before, this two-part grace. Share in that with me, our undeserved favour and God's equipping of us. The last one is affection. This starting in verse 8. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now what's he saying there? He said, it's interesting here, it says here, he says, with the affection of Christ Jesus, right? And I think he's talking about Jesus' affection, or probably talking about the work of the Holy Spirit within him uh, that comes not from us in a sense, uh, but it's his affection, not ours. It's the fruit, I believe, of the indwelling Holy Spirit given upon our first authentic belief, faith, or trust in him. Right. let's look at the last part, which is verses 9 to 11. This is Paul's, now here he gets to the crunch, which I think is the, the main thrust of what he's wanting to do in this particular passage, his four-part prayer, and it's focused on ongoing spiritual growth within the people in the church, right? within the believers. And then there are four parts to it. The first part is love, then discernment, then purity, and finally, what is our ultimate goal in life, what is what is what what is the goal of our of ourselves as believers uh, in this life? Right, look at verse nine, and this is my prayer. This is the one about love, right? That you love, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Let's go back and look at that. 
And this is my prayer that your love, I just want to say a couple of things about love. Love is something which is lived. It's a, we, we tend to think about love as, oh, you know, that's, I'm in love with so and so. And we tend to think a bit too much uh, like that, that it's an affection which can sort of go up and down depending on circumstances. But I love to, I like to think about love and I, and I, I know this from experience that love is more a choice, not so much what we feel. It is we choose to love or choose to love the unlovely. I, I, I often say, well, sometimes I equate the church to a packet of licorice, all sorts. I'm one of these bad people I like when I go on, not when I'm not on holidays, but when I go on holidays, I sort of let the, let, you know, let things loose a bit. And we've just been on holidays lately and I'm, I'm really trying to recover and, and I'm finding it harder to lose, and for this time, I'm finding it harder to lose that weight I put on. Because anyway, I, I love, um, I do, I do love lollies. But the church is a bit like lollies, right? All, chock, like, like licorice, all sorts. There are all sorts of people in the church. The other day, you know, I came into a meeting, um, we we're having, and I saw this person walk in and I said, the thought went through my mind straight away, I don't particularly like that person. And I could just feel this negativity rising up within me. It did, I just did. And then, but towards the end of the meeting, no, nah, he was good. He, it was good. I, I was really pleased that he was there and everything. But, but the thing is, there are people that we don't ordinarily just love, lo- just like everyone. But we can choose to love everyone easily. And the like will, the like will come as a result of that. So, um, then it says that, that your love may abound, uh, or grow more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. In depth of insight, what? Knowledge and depth of insight, what? Of God, His Word, His will. And as I said before, it's not just intellectual, it's something that's lived. We talk about the, the Bible as being God's living word. It's something that's lived. It's experienced. It's not just following ritual or following a plan or following something intellectually. And it's also not just blind enthusiasm. Often when a person first becomes a believer, there, there, there's, there's, a, there's a heaps of enthusiasm, but there's not necessarily a great deal of knowledge. But as time goes by, Hopefully we gain knowledge, but not lose the enthusiasm. I'm more enthusiastic now than I was 20 years ago. I'm, you know, I'm just excited by that. I love it. I'm, I'm really pleased about it. Right, um, verse 10. We look at the second one, which is discernment. Then he goes on and says, "So that you may be able to discern what is best." Right, eh? And so, for example, he's talking about, well, what really matters? For, for me, as one of the key things in our life, is simply trusting and obeying God as detailed or as sort of portrayed in the Bible. And it's easy to say, well, I trust God and I obey him. It's easy to say that, but there are, there's a, there, there are depths in genuinely trusting. I trust God. Yes, I do. I do. We go through an experience... And then, oh, hopefully at the end of it, oh, well, I trust God a bit more. And that trust grows and grows and grows. And that's what we want to do. And also to obey God, you know. Well, look, I'll obey God, oh, 80%, 90%, 95%. I think you'd be pretty happy with that because I'm doing better than most people. 95%. No, no, that's not it. It's 100%. That's what he wants. So simply trusting and obeying God. Um, And also... Uh, discerning what is best, not being sidetracked by minor, minor issues. I'm sure we've all heard of the story about the carpet. You've got no carpet here, so there's no problem. But what people could complain about is the colour of the concrete you've got. 
I don't like that colour. I think it should be a different colour. And then you can have an argument about things like that, can't you? And also people argue about or get sidetracked on things like the Bible translation. Now, this translation is best and this one's no good. I use the NIV. Not necessarily because I think it's the best, but but it is an excellent trans- translation. But the thing for me is I just go to different churches and it's most people use it. And it's relatively simple and straightforward. And I'm pretty sure you, yeah, there you go. So, but, but I used to f- fancy th- something like, um, uh, the English Standard Version, which is very good intellectually, but it doesn't run and flow so smoothly. Um, so, uh, now, most, uh, let me say this, finish on this, and let's say that most translations are excellent. The New World Translation put out by the Jehovah's Witnesses is not. It's not. I want to say that say that clearly. Right, there's a four-part prayer. Look at the third one, which is purity, and may be. And he's talking about us that we might that we may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Let's just think about that. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Let's think about that. He says, um, and may be pure and blameless. How? I think. Through act, we need to actively pursue personal holiness. We need to actively pursue that. We need to have that consciously in our mind that we are pursuing that. I remember one day um, uh, I was talk- talking to the pastor of our church, not not the last, not the current pastor, the pastor before that, but the one before that. He was a very good guy, and I remember going to church. This was a fair while ago, but, but perhaps not as long ago as I as, it, as I would like it to have been, but. Uh, I remember t- talking to him at the front at the front door and going to church, and I was. He said, "How are you going, Leo?" I says, "Oh, I've been struggling with this and that, and you know, I can't do, get on top of it. And I was having a good old whinge about this thing I was struggling with in life, and uh, and I thought he was going to say, "Oh, Leo, you just stick in there, brother, and you know, you're you're a good guy and everything," but he didn't. What he said to me was, he said, "Leo, we sin. We t- I was talking about a sin I was battling with." He said, Leo, we sin because we want to sin. And I thought to myself, hey, hey, that's not very pastorly like. You know, he's supposed to, you know, he's supposed to say something positive to me, really positive. But as the years have gone by, I've come to realize that what he said was that he spoke the truth in love to me. He spoke the truth in love. Stop whinging, stop complaining about it and start choosing to do something about it. And I've, and it, and this particular thing, I still struggle with it, but nevertheless, I still remember that, uh, to this day. He spoke the truth to me in love. May we be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. What's he talking about there? The day of judgment for everyone, believers and unbelievers, will be called to give an, a, well, will be called to give an account of our life. I tend to call it not so much the day of judgment, but the, but for believers, the day of accountability. When we, we have been given this incredible, it's just a, a mind-bogglingly um, generous of God what he has in store for us and what he has given us. It, it is just amazing. Um, so he's going, to, he's going to say, well, what have you done with this wonderful gift? How have you lived your life that you, when, you, when you've been a believer? What's his, and what's it say? Um, for the day of Christ. I, can, I think about chapter two, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear, all, that includes us, includes me, before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account 
for how we've lived our life. This is under the section of what I'm calling purity here. He says, may we be pure and blameless. We will have to give an account for how we've lived our life. Right. Then he goes on and says, filled with the fruit of righteousness, and I view that as being the fruit of the indwelling uh, Holy Spirit. He's not talking there about, when he says filled with the fruit of righteousness, he's not talking about the fruit of self-righteousness. Me, I'm a good guy. Well, you, you surely you see that, I'm a good guy. No, it's not that. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the fruit of the indwelling Holy Spirit. He's also not talking about filled with the fruit of works righteousness. Look, I've, I've gone to church for, 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 for decades and I read the Bible and I pray and I give money to the church and I smile to people on Sunday. No, that's works righteousness. That's not it, what, he's, what he's not talking about. Right. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, who, and that's Jesus, Jesus, who via the cross makes true godly living possible. If he had not died on the cross to pay the price for my sins, I would never have received the Holy Spirit to enable me to live the, 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 um, the Christian life and there would never be a fruit of righteousness within me. Right, let's look at the last one. This is a very interesting one. Right at the very end, he just tags this on at the end. Then he says, that comes through Jesus Christ. Then he finishes up by saying, to the glory and praise of God. Now, is that a part of the prayer? I believe it is. This is the section that I call our ultimate goal. Our ultimate goal. What is the purpose of life? It's summed up. I know the, the, the and I was going to about to say the pedestrians, but what I mean, the Presbyterians. I don't go, I'd be, that would be a blunder, wouldn't it, eh? I, I, we, Joan and I go to a church of Christ, which can I say in many ways is similar to a Presbyterian church. Very, very similar. Um, so that's really good. Um, I, 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 and I was about to say in the, um, what's that? Westminster Confession, isn't it? That's what it's called, right? They, they say right very clearly, what is the purpose of life? This verse I'm going to quote, it doesn't cover all of that, but it covers a large part of it. And this is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. We're talking about the purpose of life. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's our goal in life. So the question comes up is how can we, um, uh, how can we bring glory to God how can we glorify God? I think it's fairly, I think it's fairly clear. We do that by trusting and obeying Him. By living Jesus-like lives. By living like Jesus through praise, praising God's attributes. That's when I start praying. Uh, and when I pray, um, when I pray, is I, I, we've got a three kilometre walk around the lagoon near where I live. And the first thing I start is right at the very first part is pray, prayer adoration telling god how good he is and being so thankful uh, for what is for what he's done so praising his attributes and his works right what we've done now is we've gone through the passage we start off with an introduction and the main thing about that was jesus being equal with fully god and fully man not somewhere vague in between between a man and a man and god then we looked at four reasons for paul's joy then we looked at Paul's four-part prayer. And the title of the talk was Seek Christian Maturity. I think in this passage there is a tremendous amount of what I think good preaching opportunities for us. It, it, when you have a good look at it, there's a whole lot of things that it raises. 
And it also, at the same time, it reveals Paul as a remarkable Christian. He certainly was. He was an incredible Christian. But he also was especially equipped by God. The thing is, thing is though, we can become more and more like Jesus and more and more like Paul. Remember, and I think we've got to remember with regard to Paul that Paul was once a monster who actively persecuted Christians. Now, I don't think that's what we've, we, I, I doubt that any of us have been that, but, but that's who Paul was, and yet he became a remarkable uh, believer. What, is, what could th- cup small things can I leave you with uh, in terms of seeking Christian maturity? First of all is to ask God for a desire to grow. Many of us just want to just sit back and just let it happen. Well, when we become a believer, it's just accepting a gift. It's not a works thing when we first become a believer. But but then sanctification or growing as a believer, that is where there is effort and exertion required on our part. So first of all, we need to have a desire to grow and ask God for that. Secondly, is to know God's word. We will not reach spiritual maturity if we do not have an understanding a lived understanding of god's word we need to do that we need i know many christians many and including me when i for many years after i first became a believer basically ignored god's word i'm I'm clearly different now but i was definitely like that and that was reflected in my spiritual life it was it plateaued and and very little happened and the third, so that's the second one is to know the word. And the third thing is to seek to actively trust and obey. As I said before, it's one thing to say we trust, but what is the depth of that? What really is the depth of that trust? And the other thing is to say we obey, but is it a hundred percent? Or is it this, well, we, we just keep a few, one or two sins in our back pocket, which occasionally we bring out. I think I'm talking realistically. I think I'm talking reality there. Right, so they're the three. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for your word, your your word, not the word of man, but your word. We thank you for that. We thank you for all that is in there, Lord, to help us live a godly life. Lord, we pray that that might be the case with us as we seek to become spiritually mature or more spiritually mature. In Jesus' name, amen.